This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Hey, what's good? It's another edition of the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. My name is Blair Angulo. Happy Thanksgiving week to all of our listeners. We are thankful for each and every one of you. If you haven't done so, please subscribe, please rate us, please review us. We are aiming to do a mega mailbag episode very soon leading up to the early signing period. So if you have a recruiting question, please submit it via Apple Podcast Review with a five-star rating. On this show, we're going to catch up with National Recruiting Editor Brandon Huffman to discuss the top three uncommitted prospects heading into the early signing period next month. That would be number one, Corey Foreman, number two, JT Tuimoloau, and number eight, Emeka Egbuka, who is the number one receiver in the country. Recruiting is heating up heading into the early signing period for the 2021 class, but the 2022 class is also starting to make some waves. After reeling in the number one overall prospect and former Texas Longhorns commit Quinn Ewers last week, Ohio State had another massive recruiting win in the 2022 class this week with the announcement of composite five-star receiver Caleb Burton also out of the state of Texas. So before we get to Brandon Huffman, here is Gabe Brooks with more on Caleb Burton here on the kickoff. Caleb Burton is another a seismic recruiting win for Ohio State in the state of Texas as they continue to rack up these high-profile recruits from the Lone Star State, you know, starting with that 2017 class that had Okuda and Dobbins and Browning. Uh, I, I think that uh, they're really particularly hitting the offensive side of the ball here in recent cycles. Garrett Wilson, Jackson Smith, and Jigba, Donovan Jackson in this 21 class, and and you add Ewers and Burton to that in 22, and that's uh, that's pretty ridiculous. Um, I think the things that that Burton will bring to the team and will provide for Ewers as a target is uh, an all around. Uh, all-around, well-rounded game as a receiver. He can take the short game uh, for big run-after-catch gains. He can uh, blow the top off in the vertical passing game. Uh, He is down-to-down effective in the short-to-intermediate passing game as somebody who uses some short-area suddenness uh, to to get open and get separation, and, and he's a ball winner in the red zone. Um, you know, he, play, he, he plays bigger than his, his listed size, and he also uh, plays with the functional athleticism of somebody who you have to account for as a big play threat. Uh, I, I think that uh, all signs are that he'll come back from the, the season-ending injury he had in the first game of the year for uh, uh, Del Valley. Um, I, I think it's a knee injury, but all signs are uh, encouraging based on what we've heard, so that shouldn't be a concern. Uh, and I think that uh, you, you can't count Ohio State out for uh, more Texas high school kids. Uh, 
four-star receiver Armani Winfield in that 22 class. The crystal ball has already uh, swung to Ohio State as of Tuesday afternoon, uh, and, and you hear some Ohio State buzz with other guys like uh, cornerback Denver Harris and receiver Evan Stewart, who are two more really elite prospects in this 22 class. Joining us now on the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast, a happy Thanksgiving to Brandon Huffman, the national recruiting editor for 24-7 Sports. Huff, turkey or ham or roast or well, what do you go with? Dark meat turkey. Stuffing is the main star of the turkey Thanksgiving Day meal. A little dirty rice that my mother-in-law from Texas makes. Okay, I like it. And uh, I like know, where your head's at. Yeah, we'll, we'll go, you know, pumpkin pie at the end. But if you don't have stuffing, are you even really having Thanksgiving dinner? Are you a gravy guy? I will have gravy on it just to, you know, kind of moisturize the stuffing a little bit, but I can eat stuffing without gravy. Okay. Yeah. No, I agree. Sometimes I don't want to mention names, but the in-laws, uh, sometimes it's a little dry and you need a, you need some of that gravy to, to moisten stuff up. Um, so, you know, everyone happy Thanksgiving and, and Huff happy Thanksgiving to you. I know, it's the end of November and we're approaching the early signing period next month. And it's a big one because of everything that's happened this year. Uh, we're expecting a lot of commitments and a lot of players to come off the board and sign early, lock in their spots. And all but three of the prospects in the top 10 for the top 24-7 are already off the board. But the three that haven't committed are out west. And they they are... Corey Foreman, the number one prospect in the composite. JT Tuimuloao, the number two prospect in the composite. And Emeka Ekbuka, the number one receiver and the number eight overall prospect in the composite. So we're going to go in-depth on where they stand heading into the early signing period. Let's start with Corey Foreman. Football in the state of California has not kicked off. It's not supposed to kick off until January. It sounds like it might even get pushed back to the spring uh, but Corey Foreman has been pretty active on the recruiting front, relatively speaking. He's taken some visits. He's been out to LSU. I know he made it out to Georgia. I know uh, ASU, USC, especially out west, and, and Oregon are still making a push. He's a former Clemson commit. How likely is it that Corey Foreman comes off the board in the early signing period? Well, it sounds like a decision could come, you know, potentially – at the All-American Bowl announcement show, it sounds like he could decide on the first day of the December signing period. But there's also a discussion that he may push his commitment back to February. I mean, with Corey Foreman, there doesn't seem to be a real clearly stated time frame of when he'll decide. It could fluctuate any time between, you know, essentially now, the early signing period, all the way to the February signing period. And I would say, based on his recruitment, I mean, like you said, Committed to Clemson, he's been crystal ball to Georgia, crystal ball to USC, crystal ball to LSU. Those schools are in the mix as well as Arizona State. You know, this seems like there could be a few more twists and turns along the way. So maybe February is probably a more realistic time frame, but it really well could happen anytime between now, the early signing period and the February signing period. You know, this is a player that a lot of people early on in the recruiting battle pegged to go to USC 
and you think about the connection with a current defensive lineman there, Drake Jackson. They come from the same high school. They train with the same coaches. Um, and th- there's always been that tie to the local program. But as long as, as Clay Helton is there, and I, and I feel like that's the big X factor there, is I think USC needs to prove that they should be keeping a player of this caliber home. Now, he had already come off the board and committed to Clemson, so he had already decided that L.A. and Southern California was not for him. And, and the more you, you hear about his recruiting and, and his process and, and the way he's thinking, you, you mentioned it, right? He, he's, he's flirted with Georgia. A lot of people have him pegged to go to, to LSU and possibly team up with, with a Mason Smith. I know package deals usually don't work out, but they've talked about that before. Um, and, and ASU is one school that I know Greg Biggins has been saying we should not be sleeping on. Well, we also know how close ASU was to getting Drake Jackson two years ago, where it looked like very well. It, they, it was as close as it could be. It, it was. I mean, it, it was one of those where it was, you know, 50.1 to 49.9, you know, that close between the two. And perhaps Arizona State, which has done a tremendous job recruiting in the Southland, which, I mean, if you look even just historically, the, the last time there was a really high-profile defensive player not named Drake Jackson at Corona Centennial. It was Vontez Burfick, who was committed to USC and ultimately signed with Arizona State. So, I mean, Arizona State has had a long history at Corona Centennial. That's why it wasn't a surprise that Drake Jackson was in the mix there. You know, they flipped a couple guys late last year that seem to be heading other places. They've done a good, good job in the Inland Empire historically and, and recently. You know, Jaden Daniels two years ago was another name. So, I wouldn't count Arizona State out here, but with the fact that, you know, there really seems to be four or five teams legitimately in the mix for him, uh, again, I think that there is a, a long time still left in this recruitment for Corey Foreman. We'll be back more here with Brandon Huffman on the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. We are back on the recruiting podcast over at 24-7 Sports with Brandon Huffman. He's a national recruiting editor also for 24-7 Sports. You can follow him on Twitter at Brandon Huffman for all your, your stuffing tweets and uh, your stuffing needs. I'm, what, what do you put in the stuffing? What, what's your go-to? What does the stuffing, uh, what is it composed of? You got to have a little bit of sausage. My my mother-in-law will put a little Ooh, bit of That's like, the like secret a, then. That's the secret. You know, it's it's you know, obviously the breading is important, the sausage, a little bit of carrot. I mean, I'm sorry, not carrot, carrot celery. Yeah, um, you need the crunch. Yeah, to give it a little bit of crunch, but I'm telling you man, the the, the sausage is kind of the secret. And I don't know if it's a Texas thing, if it's a southern thing, but 
the dirty rice my mother-in-law makes. It's got a little bit of a kick to it, but she also puts a little bit pieces of sausage in that too. So I think, you know, when turkey is the star, when you can sneak a little bit of the sausage into, you know, your, your stuffing or your rice, you're on point to have a fantastic Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening dinner. And I've always felt that stuffing is so important because that allows for more leftovers on the turkey side for sandwiches down the line. Yeah, no, uh, absolutely. And and I feel like that's the best part of Thanksgiving, in my opinion, is, is the Friday meal and the Saturday meal um, and, and what you can make of, of all the stuff that's left over. Uh, one guy that's not left over, and he's probably the main course on a lot of college recruiting boards, is JT Tui Muloao. He's the number one player in the state of Washington out of Eastside Catholic, also a standout basketball player. Number two overall in the composite, right, right behind Corey Foreman, who we just broke down. Uh, with JT Tui Moloau, Ohio State has the overwhelming lead in the 24-7 sports crystal ball at a 92% uh, percentage on the projections. Where does he stand, Brandon, on, on his recruiting process heading into the early signing period? Well, I know one of the questions you asked about Corey Farman is when could he decide with, with JT, that's not one that people need to sit idly by waiting for his decision. That thing's not coming until February at the soonest. There is a slim outside possibility. He could announce at the Polynesian Bowl, assuming that game, which is one of the big three all-star games still happen. And the only one as of now that's still on schedule, I don't anticipate him coming up with a decision until the early sign. I'm sorry, until the February signing period in early February. But I could also see this one going until, you know, early to mid-April. Maybe he waits until after the dead period opens up, if it does open up in mid-April, and gets out and visits some schools, and he signs a intent to enroll rather than an NLI. But there are still seven schools in the mix for JT. You have Alabama, Michigan, Oklahoma, Ohio State, Oregon, USC, in Washington. Uh, I think a top five could come in the next couple of months. But again, this is one that isn't going to be wrapping up for quite some time. I would say right now it's still Ohio State and, and Alabama making a, a surge. You can't count out Oregon. They've made a push. Um, USC is another one of the schools that he's grown up a fan of. Um, you know, home state, Washington still trying with them. But right now I think Alabama and Ohio State have kind of moved themselves ahead of the pack in his recruitment. And I think that those two are really making an impact. The difference is, is that he had a chance to visit Alabama going into his sophomore year when he camped at Alabama. He hasn't been to Ohio State yet. All he has in terms of Ohio State is his former Eastside Catholic teammate, G. Scott Jr., who's on the roster at Ohio State as a freshman receiver there. But I, I think, you know, he wants to see Columbus at some point just to make sure that's the right fit. Uh, so that maybe that works in Alabama's favor with the dead period continuing to be pushed back. You know, I'm going to throw you a question that I know a lot of college football fans throw us, and it has to do with on-field results. Now, he has a list of of some heavy hitters, some national programs that are in the mix for the college football playoff here down the stretch. How much do you think he pays attention to wins and losses or what's happening on the field or or how players are being utilized? How big of a factor is that for his decision-making process, given that he hasn't been able to hit the road? 
Well, I think the the development of the players has been key, as you asked. I think that that's one of the reasons that Ohio State and Alabama are doing so well for him. Is if you look at their recent history of pass rushers, and you look at what Larry Johnson has done before at Penn State, and now at Ohio State with Joey Bosa, with Nick Bosa, with Chase Young, uh, and then going back to his time at, at Penn State with you know, Courtney Brown, with Tom Bahali. I mean, he's had a long history of developing elite pass rushers at both of his stops. But obviously, Alabama's had a fantastic run of late. You know, not with just you guys in the front seven, uh, but also you, you see the success that Tua Tonga-Vailoa had down there, and JT as a Polynesian player wants to find that comfort level. But you overlook at Ohio State, Tommy Tungiai is a big part of Ohio State's front seven there, so you know, two places that you wouldn't necessarily think have a huge poly uh, contingent in Alabama and Ohio State actually have had some recent success, so then you throw that into their ability to develop pass rushers. I think that's something that is very much a part of the discussion process for JT. Um, I, I think on-field results do matter. I mean, if you look at the top seven schools he's had, each one of those schools at some point has been in a, you know, a New Year's Day Bowl over the last five or six years. Um, you know, a couple of them have won New Year's Day Bowls. And so those are seven programs. I think four of them have been in the playoffs over the last few years as well. So he's clearly looking at the upper echelon of schools. Uh, but I think the player development at the position that he plays as a defensive end has really been kind of the ultimate thing he's been looking at. And honestly, I think that's one of the things that's hurt Washington is Washington's had some great players get drafted in the last few years and they've done a great job defensively when the one thing that they've lacked though is an elite first round draft pick pass rusher you know Joe Tryon could potentially be uh, one of those guys later he opted out of the season but when you look at Ohio State and Alabama that's not been something that they've suffered and struggled with is developing elite pass rushers who are going out as first round top 10 picks. Yeah, I think that track record speaks for itself, and and it's it's one of those things, right, where the coach just has to show up in a polo with a logo, and and I think that speaks volumes. Uh, and they're, they're not it's not as hard as as it may seem uh, on the surface. Uh, Brandon, before we let you go, the other one we need to break down is Emeka Ibuka. He's the number one rated receiver in this 2021 class, number eight nationally in the composite, also uncommitted, also from the state of Washington, and like JT Tui. Mudoal also trending to Ohio State on the crystal ball. Where does he stand heading into the early signing period? Well, we broke in November that his top four, which he named back in the spring of Clemson, Oklahoma, Ohio State, and Washington, was a top three of Ohio State, Oklahoma, and Washington. So Clemson's out. Ohio State's still in front on the crystal ball. It's still where I think you know the crystal ball should stay. He's visited Columbus twice, once for a game last fall during the 2019 season, and also for an unofficial visit earlier in the spring. He's been to Washington numerous times for games, for unofficial visits. It's the school that's in his backyard. It's the hometown school. The one thing that Oklahoma has going against them is he's never visited Norman. He's never been to the Oklahoma campus. And yet there they are in the top three. The thing with Oklahoma is they've got to get him on campus. He was supposed to go on an official visit in April for their spring game. Obviously, the pandemic wiped that out. Then there was plans to go in the summer for the Sooner Summit. Those didn't work out. Then he was hoping to get out there during the fall. There's been some talk that he may get out there in December for their game against Baylor, get a chance to see Norman, get a chance to see the stadium. It's one of the stadiums, one of the schools that's actually allowing fans into the stadium, which we're not seeing really out west on the Pac-12. 
So maybe he gets out there and sees a game, uh, gets to see Caleb Williams, who is the quarterback he's gotten really close with. Uh, but you also have, you know, Washington. He's been throwing weekly with Sam Hewitt. It's one of the earliest schools that offered him from his final three. They, they offered him the earliest. Oklahoma has done a great job recruiting him. They just haven't been able to get him to Norman. Ohio State's gotten him to Columbus twice. So I think a lot really rides on if he ends up visiting Oklahoma. A lot of people around him, the closest recruitment, think that if he visits Oklahoma, that could be the deal sealer for the Sooners. But there's been ample time where there was a talk he was going to go visit Oklahoma, and he hasn't yet. The longer this goes, you know, the, the harder it's going to be for him to get out to Oklahoma. He has said that he – probably won't make a decision on where he's going until he visits Oklahoma, whether that's before the early signing period in December, whether that drags out until February to the February signing period, you know, remains to be seen, but I just don't see him making a decision without visiting Oklahoma. And if he comes to a decision without visiting Oklahoma, I don't think that bodes well for the Sooners. The Buckeyes still have the crystal ball, but you can't count out Washington. I mean, they're the one school they've still stuck around. He's had, you know, obviously plenty of opportunities to visit. He's got a great relationship with their receivers coach, Jimmy uh, Junior Adams, and their new head coach, Jimmy Lake, who was the coach that actually came to watch him play and offered him when he was a sophomore. Uh, but the Buckeyes have had kind of the, the, the pole position for a while with him. So this really could go one of three ways, but a lot really depends on if he ends up visiting Norman and gets a chance to see Oklahoma. A lot to consume there with the top three prospects, Corey Foreman, JT Tumaloao, and Emeka Ibuka, the players that have yet to commit that are in the top 10 for the 24-7 sports composite in the 2021 class. Brandon, thank you so much for joining us. And by the way, here's a little tip. Uh, roast, roasted Brussels sprouts with uh, a demi-glaze and some pancetta. Thank me later. That'll be your, your Thanksgiving uh, homework. Done. That was Brandon Huffman. You can follow him on Twitter at Brandon Huffman. Thank you so much, everyone, for tuning in to this episode of the 24-7 Sports Football Recruiting Podcast. Happy Thanksgiving and enjoy week 13 of the college football season.